Well, good morning and welcome to another week of Romans. I will tell you this, this is the second to last Sunday of Romans. We will actually finish it out next week, and then after that, we start our simple Christmas uh, theme and sermon series as we uh, go through that the first Sunday in December. But uh, today, I'm really, really excited about uh, preaching through Romans. We're going to be in Romans 13 and 14 today. Why Romans? is because Romans is filled with uh, doctrine, uh, theology. It helps us to, to get back to our faith, helps us to be able to, uh, to own our faith, because when you own your faith, you can defend your faith, and when you can defend your faith, you will not be ashamed of your faith, and this world will try to do everything they can to, to try to challenge or criticize your faith, and so Romans really helps you to be able to do that. Romans is divided into certain sort of larger sections. Number one, Paul, the apostle, uh, it's, it's a letter that Paul writes to the Christians in Rome, but he starts with a problem, and the problem is sin. The problem is sin. We, we see that in the very beginning of Genesis. Uh, after God's beautiful creation, sin enters into the world. And, and Paul talks through that, but sin is still in the world. And uh, so not only with people who are pushing out uh, God and trying to live their life with their own moral compass, but also as believers, we can get a little bit um, judgmental of, of people who do not know and do not understand a life of righteousness apart from sin because they have not accepted Jesus Christ. And so even we sin when we judge like that. But because of the problem, God has brought a provision. And this provision is the uh, son, Jesus Christ, coming in, dying for our sins, and dying on the cross, and changing us from the inside out not based upon works, not based upon what you and I may do, but based solely upon the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And God has declared us righteous because of our faith, period. And uh, so, but when we accept Jesus Christ and he provides that for us, we have power through him. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have a lot of benefits for being a believer. And so that Holy Spirit enables us to follow God's law, not because we have to, but because we want to. And so, yes, Jesus came, brought a new command, a new, a new covenant, a new promise with the New Testament. And so it's not about following a rules. It's about following a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so the Holy Spirit gives us the ability, it changes our nature, and helps us to overcome the desires of our flesh. But then as we mosey on through our life, we, we, we sort of have a predicament. And that predicament that Paul talks about is that we continue, our natural uh, sinful self wants to replace faith with what we try to do to to keep our, our relationship, our, our, uh, you know, our salvation, basically, to where we go to more of a works-based faith. And, and Jesus uh, and, um, wants to remind us through, through Paul's writing is that you and I, we don't need to depend upon that, on that faith-based works. We need to just depend upon that relationship with Jesus Christ. And so the Jews... They, um, they 
spent thousands of years obeying rules and regulations, and then along come Gentiles, non-Jews. We're non-Jews, we're Gentiles. And so they are able to become sons and daughters of Jesus Christ, sons and daughters of God. And so through that, um, not obeying the rules and regulations that the Jews did, and so the Jews are like, hey, what? why do they get to be sons and daughters of God? Why did they get grafted in to what our story is? And Paul's like, it's because of the blood of Jesus. And so Paul spends chapters one through 11 talking about the, the uh, theology of, of, the, of our faith, okay? And so he talks about the theology in chapters one through 11. In chapter 12, he begins, as we learned last week, he talks about the practice of that theology. And so he starts off chapter 12. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, view of what I talked about, chapters one through 11, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. And so uh, through that, uh, you and I, we are to be the church, the living sacrifice. We are through, through our serving, through our giving, through our loving and our growing together, we are actually able to be the church, the body of Christ. When you and I are missing in action, we don't have the full body, we don't have all our limbs to be able to do the things that we're able to do as a church. How are we to be a living sacrifice? Serving the church through our giftedness, loving the church, and then transforming the world. And it takes the bold and beautiful body of Christ working together to be that living sacrifice. And I talked about that last week. Today, as we mosey on into chapters 13 and 14, Paul continues to talk about what it means to be that living sacrifice. So it's just a continuation of, of a practice of that theology that we see in Romans 1 through 11. So Paul starts off chapter 13 by saying, you could be a living sacrifice by submitting yourselves to governing authority. So let's read here chapter 13, verses one through seven, and it says this. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold on to terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong, do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe them taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then 
honor. So we are to be a living sacrifice when we submit ourselves to the governing authorities by paying taxes, okay? If you don't pay taxes, you are not following, you're not submitting yourself to the governing authorities, okay? We are to respect our leaders, okay? Respect those in office, respect those God's put in position. We teach our kids, respect police officers, okay? We, um, you, you talk to people in authority um, with respect, and, uh, and we teach our, our kids, especially our, our boys, when, when you, when you uh, talk to someone in authority, you, you shake their hand, you look them in the eye, you say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. And so there's a lot of people who, who are in authority in our lives. Those in Christ must be submissive or subject to, is a word used in this, in this passage, human authorities in government. In other words, one's place in God's kingdom does not allow us to ignore those in charge of whatever earthly kingdom we occupy. This is not just about keeping the peace. Christians are to submit to earthly authorities because God has placed them there. God placed President Trump in office, and God will place whoever is supposed to be there next, okay? Some will say, some say it's, it's, it's Biden, some say it's Trump still, well, we'll see, okay? But guess what? It don't matter <laughs> because God's in control. God is in control, and so he will put whoever's supposed to be there there for his great will and his great plan. So um, Paul says that every position of government authority on earth was ultimately filled by God himself for his purpose. But it's interesting Paul chooses not to address in this section something he faced in his own life. Because if you read through Acts, you read through what Paul and, and, and even Peter, another a disciple who walked with Jesus, there were times they were, even, they were arrested for, for not following the authority. And so it's interesting that Paul chooses not to address that in this section, something he faced in his own life. So here's a question that, that begs to be asked. What do you do when a human government tells you to do something that contradicts God's commands? Or when the government is not acting fairly or morally or in good faith? In that case, a believer must defy ungodly commands and willingly face the consequences. And I'm gonna lay out the reason why I believe that statement to be true. It's in scripture. We see this scenario with Peter and the other disciples being arrested and questioned. We see this in, in Acts chapter five, verse 27 through 29. Peter's facing, and some disciples are, are facing authorities. The, the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Okay, so they have laid this rule out. They are in authority, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with their teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Verse 29, Peter and the other apostle applied, we must obey God rather than human beings. Now, it's interesting that he actually uses the word obey. 
in that sense. And we're gonna get to that in a moment. But Paul's instructions in, in this first part of chapter 13 speaks of submission or subjection, but not necessarily obedience. This distinction was lived out by Jesus' closest followers. Obviously, we just read part of it. Nearly all the apostles were eventually killed by government authorities for what? For preaching the gospel. They refused to obey when told to be silent, but they submitted to the punishment and authority of the government. So let me dive in a little bit deeper in the meaning of the text. The key to understanding um, is the words be subject to, as the first part of there in Romans chapter 13 that Paul, Paul talks about. The Greek word for that is, um, it, it's basically pronounced hupotasso. Hupotasso, that's a Greek word, which has been translated as submit or be subject to. Literally means to arrange stuff respectively in an orderly manner underneath. This simple meaning of, of social orderliness would have been understood by the original readers in Rome. But it is little obscured in our English translation. The word, this same word, in Romans 13 is used in Ephesians 5.22 where it talks about encourages husbands and wives to submit to one another. They use the word submit, not the word obey. I would never tell my wife, you must obey me. Now, I do obey my wife out of fear of my life sometimes, no. But we're not to obey one another. We are to submit to one another. And it reflects God's concern for order and respect. Here's the main point. Paul and Peter believed that governing authorities are necessary for keeping the peace. It makes sense. God is a God of order, not anarchy, or chaos, but, there, but there's where we go wrong. There, there's another word, another Greek word that they could have used, and it's pronounced um, hupakuyo, hupakuyo, which is best translated as obey, which literally means to conform or to follow a command of authority as a subordinate. Peter and Paul could have used that word, hupokuyo, which means to obey, but they chose not to. Paul, Paul chooses not to use that in both Ephesians and in Romans 13. Used 21 times in the New Testament, hupokuyo always suggests a hierarchical context in the relationship between children and parents are slaves and masters. Yes, children must obey their parents, but husbands and wives are to submit to one another. There's a difference. You might could use the same word submit for both of those, but in the Greek text, it's a different word and <clears throat> a different meaning. And so the most important thing to remember in the New Testament Greek, to submit does not always mean to obey. There are two separate actions. Though Paul and Peter and other followers of Jesus deliberately disobeyed laws that were in conflict with God's commands, they still submitted 
to the authorities by accepting the legal consequences of their actions. We just read that in Acts. So what does this mean for Lake Point Church? (laughs) What does this mean for us? I mean, I can't speak for other churches. I'm only the shepherd of Lake Point Church. But like the apostles, we will obey God's law, not man's law. We will submit to man's law, but there's a difference. We will, just like Peter said, we obey God's law. We will submit to man's law as long as it does not prevent us from being the church in which God commanded us. Lake Point Church will meet together, we will sing together, we will pray together, we will share Jesus together, we will do those things together. You know why? Because we are commanded in God's word to do so, to be the church, to do everything we can to do those things. We will preach the complete word of God even when told that certain passages are considered hate speech towards specific people living in sin. We will preach the complete word of God. Now, with that said, we, and I've I've said this before, we will love every demographic, every people group, whatever their their gender of choice, you know, whatever their background, whatever lifestyle they're, they're coming out of, we are called to love them. I want them here. Absolutely, 100%. And at the same time, there are things in God's word that will go against their lifestyle. Just like if there were any of you in our church who, are, who have suddenly found themselves in an adulterous situation, I am not going to overlook that. I'm going to lovingly come before you as pastor and as shepherd, and I have had to do this in the past with God's word and say, okay, this is, this is what Law, you're breaking. This is, you are going against God's word. How can we have a path to reconciliation? With your marriage, with your heavenly father, there needs to be some confession. There needs to be some repentance. Okay? If I did not do that, I would not be the shepherd that Lake Point Church needs. Are there other pastors in churches that will overlook that? Yes. Are there other pastors and other churches and other progressive Christian denominations who are overlooking some of those things? You betcha. I know some. I've talked to some. And it blows my mind that they do not follow that. But understand this. If we are told by governing officials that we can't be the church and do the things the church will do. We will simply not obey, but we will submit to whatever comes our way because of that. There are churches who are doing that now. And that, I believe, is the biblical response as we see in Scripture. So there is a difference between submitting or being subject to and obeying. So Paul goes on, he transitions to the idea that Jesus' followers should pay all of their debts, with the most important one being the debt of love. So as we continue on verse 8 through 10, and uh, back to Romans 13, 
we see this. Let no debt remain outstanding except that continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you should not commit adultery, you should not murder, you should not steal, you should not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And so how can we continue to be a living sacrifice? Not only do we submit to the governing authorities, but we love one another. We always have a debt of love to one another. Um, Paul goes on, to, uh, goes on in verse 11 through 14. He talks about uh, a way to be a living sacrifice is to be uh, awoken, be awakened by um, the Holy Spirit, to be the church that God has called us to be in verse um, 11 through 14. And do this, understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you, church, to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. The church, we need to wake up from our slumber. And I shared a little bit about this last week. There are people who are part of the body of Christ who are asleep. We need the body of Christ together, okay? For obviously, for those who are with, with, their, with their health condition, they're able to be together, okay? Those, those who can't be here together as a body of Christ, you're watching online, you're not here because of a health issue, we're praying for you, I'm communicating with you. I'm still your pastor, I'm still your shepherd, we're still your church. You wanna be here just as much uh, uh, as, as uh, everyone else who is here today. But there are some who you're asleep. <laughs> you need, spiritually, you need to wake up. You need to be here growing together, serving together, giving together, singing together, doing life together. So it's time. I'm praying right now as your pastor that in 2021, 2021 is gonna be the year that we will wake up. You say, well, Frank, the corona is coming even stronger. I understand that. But it doesn't mean that we as a church can't wake up to and understanding that we should be growing together and as individuals in Christ. So, I wanna encourage you to be that living sacrifice. Ask the Lord, Lord, what, what do you need from me? What do I need to do to, be, to become awake from my slumber? So as we move on to chapter 14, we're gonna, we're gonna do all of chapter 14. So many decisions in the Christian life um, don't come with absolute yes or no or one-size-fits-all answers. 
Now, on major issues, the, the God's word is clear. God's word is very clear. But on less important subjects, Christians find it necessary to, to agree to sort of disagree. So Paul explains this in, in chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. So just follow along with me as I read this, and I'm going to explain it as, uh, after we go through this. So chapter 14, verse 1, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith always um, uh, allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord. Whoever gives thanks to God and whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Makes sense. Verse nine, for this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. And then why, you then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. So basically what happens is Paul is dividing in this section, Paul is dividing the church into two groups, okay? Um, those who are free in Christ to eat and drink anything, okay? So you've got some, you, you've got some people who are, who, who are Jewish followers who only ate certain things, okay? Following the rules and regulations of Jewish law. And you have Gentiles who are coming in. It's like, hey, we're coming to the party, right? Um, they, you know, some of them didn't worry about being circumcised. Some of them didn't really follow all of the rules of, of what to eat, what not to eat. But they are on fire for Jesus. They have the Holy Spirit. They're living for Christ. And what Paul is saying, look, some ha have freedom to eat or drink anything. And some, in the second group, who do feel a clear conscience acting outside of those restrictions. They may think it's still wrong for Christians to eat non-kosher meat, for example. Though Paul calls these concerned believers weak in faith, I wish he would have chosen another phrase, but weak or maybe we could say baby Christians, instructs them, he instructs those who are comparatively strong and free in their faith to welcome those who are sort of weak in their faith. 
these less assured Christians ought to be fully and completely accepted into the church. So the picture Paul paints of these two groups, it should be coexisting in the church in unity and in peace. Each person should be fully convinced of his or her position on these issues and practice them to honor the Lord with giving, by giving thanks to God. Whatever we do, we should honor the Lord because all of us in Christ belong to him. So we will not be judged according to the principles of other believers. So when you stand before God the Father, we're gonna be judged based upon how we live our life in this book. And we're gonna be judged by how the Spirit has guided us. And so we're not gonna be judged by the certain convictions of others. Okay, so Paul's making that very clear. So if others may be, maybe putting you down for what you, you know, you, you have freedom to do, you're not going to be judged according to the preferences of other believers, okay? And I'm, just hang with me, because I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you some examples, all right, in our life. So still, the group described as stronger faith Christians, they shouldn't flaunt their freedom. They should not flaunt their freedom, carelessly choosing to eat and drink risks harm to their weaker brothers and sisters, Okay, instead, they should set aside the freedom to promote peace, unity, and building up the church instead of tearing it down. So in other words, merely having the freedom to do something does not make that action acceptable in all times and places. So let me give you, let me give you a couple of examples. I spent many years as a, as a worship pastor, um, several churches, and nothing could be more divisive to a church than the music. Ooh, man, it's crazy. I've, I have led worship services by playing my guitar, looking at people just standing there like this because they don't like their song, and they've told me they don't like this song. And if, and if we sing this song again, they're going to leave church and all kinds of stuff, and it's like, oh, dear Jesus. And so, and, and you've got, you know, some churches that they refuse, like we will not have drums on the stage, we will not have electric guitars on stage, we will not have this. But there are some churches that say, hey, we can have electric guitars, we can have drums, we can have lights, we can have smoke. I mean, what we feel like in Lake Point Church, we feel like music's gonna be nice and full in heaven. We feel like there's gonna be smoke in heaven from the throne of God, because Isaiah chapter six talks about that. He's actually seen a vision of the throne of God. And we feel like that there's gonna be all kinds of lights in heaven coming from the throne of God and from uh, the, the light of Jesus Christ. And there's gonna be incredible lights and, and sound and, and smoke and incredible music. I believe some of the songs we're singing here on earth are gonna be sung in heaven. And I also believe, just my, my, my spiritual gut, feeling is that there are songs that are singing in heaven that have come down to earth through people who walk in the spirit of God, who they're writing songs and they're already singing those in heaven. And so we believe that it's going to be 
Very similar. We're, we're doing it as best as we can what it's going to be like in heaven. Now, we will not, as a church, and I'll never do this as a pastor, I will never talk negative about a church if they just choose to have a piano and an organ. In fact, I've told people before, I've told pastors, pastors have come to me many times and said, we're trying to change the music in our church. I need your help. Would you be a consultant to help us walk through how to change the music in our church? My first question is this. First of all, did God tell you to change the music in your church? And second of all, what is your church doing right now? Like, who, who is your church? Who's your community outside of the walls of your church? Who are they? You, you need to be who you are. And I've talked, not every pastor, but several pastors out of making the awful mistake of running off all their church members that are there just because they feel like they want to keep up with another church and be like another church the bride of Christ is as diverse as his creation. You go out and look at the trees alone, and you see the diversity of, of God. Why can't we have that in a church? I have worshiped just as much in a church where there's just a piano. I've worshiped in a church where there have been no instruments, just singing and felt the presence of God. So we as a church are not going to condemn a church or talk negative about a church just because they don't have the music. In the same sense, we should, uh, other churches should not talk negatively about our church for having lights and smoke and, you know, people with drums and, and guitars and all kinds of stuff. And it's just a little bit too loud. That's just, that's who we are. It's who we are. It's a body of Christ. The body of Christ is beautiful like that. Beautiful like that. It's diversity in worship is so great. Let me give you another example. This example is, man, it's, it's alive in our culture right now. Masks. Masks. Okay? There are people who wear masks and people that don't wear masks. You have the mask wearers, ooh. And you have the non-mask wearers, ooh. And you have all, you know, these different type of people. Those groups of people, if you are a follower of Christ, you should not talk negatively about any of those people. Now, I can tell you right now, I, I, I usually don't wear a mask. I just, I just don't, okay? I, it, no conspiracy theory, you know, whatever. I mean, I went to Walmart and Ackworth the other day. I didn't wear a mask. I, man. Everybody was looking at me, you know? And I was like, oh, wow. There's, um, there's a lot of people here with masks on, you know? But I wouldn't like looking at people like, you're wearing a mask, you're wearing a mask, you know? I think I had a few looks back at me for not wearing a mask, you know? But let me tell you something. If, if, if you invite me over to your house and you say, hey, Frank, we'd love to have your family over, could, could y'all wear a mask 100% we're wearing a mask. You know why? Because of love. Because of love. Because of respect of that. You know? And so just like, you know, mask wearers should not condemn, you know, or talk negatively about people who, who don't wear a mask. People who don't wear a mask should not talk negatively about people who do wear masks. I mean, that's just, a, that's just something in our culture that's happening right now. 
And so, I mean, as far as who eats meat and doesn't eat meat, I mean, that's, that's not really relative in our culture right now. But understand this. If you and I walk in love, okay, we're going to say yay to mask wearers, yay to non, uh, non-mask wearers, but it's about, it's all about how we love one another. Some people have freedom to wear masks. Some people have freedom to not wear masks. And so, just thought that might be a, a, an example that you and I see every day. So as we get on to the last section, so Paul goes on into talking about how we should not be judging one another as we kind of continue in this, in this thought in Romans 13 through 23. So 13 to the end of this chapter, we see, um, we see Paul talk about this, therefore let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. It's kind of what I just talked about with masks, okay? Do not let, do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us, therefore, make every effort to do what leads to peace and not to mutual, uh, oh, peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that would cause your brother or sister to fall. So, Whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourselves and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves, but whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. Okay, I know he's talking a lot about eating meat, not eating meat, but he does talk about drinking, non-drinking. So uh, our family, we, we don't drink. We don't have any alcohol in our house. Not that we know of, okay? But we, so, and we don't say that pridefully, we just, we just don't, okay? Now, is it wrong if you want to have a glass of wine or, you know, in your house or you're out, you know, uh, dining somewhere where, where you, you know, nobody really, you know, knows you and, and you're, you're not making people stumble by that? Absolutely, you can, you can have that. Now, if it goes beyond, you know, to the point of getting drunk, that's where you cross the line. If you want to go on your back porch, have a beer, okay, in the privacy of your home. You could do that, okay? Now, if, if you're inviting people over from Lake Point Church and you're in a small group and you pass out beers, we got a problem. <laughs> because then, you know, you may have freedom to open up a can on your, in your back porch by yourself, but that freedom does not give you the right and the freedom to share that with other people because guess what? Everyone there 
may not feel the freedom to do that. I don't feel the freedom to, to, drink, to drink beer, whether I'm by myself or whatever, okay? Trust me, there are days that Susanna and I is like, yeah, maybe we need to go out and have a wine cooler because all these kids, you know. But again, we just, you know, we, just, we just don't drink, okay? And again, I don't say that out of pride. I just say that, you know, we just feel like that leads to other things. And so when in regard to, you know, drinking is something that is, that is um, you know, in our culture, um, but having an opinion that something is a sin for you does not automatically mean that act is a sin for all other Christians. So in other words, I, I'm not going to condemn you if you want to have a glass of wine or have a beer, you know, in the privacy of your home, okay? I, I'm not going to condemn you for that, Why? Because it's, it's not really wrong. Just because I don't, I don't believe in it. I'm not going to, to do that. Um, because that's just as wrong as, as you know, obviously the reverse angle. There, uh, one, one good example of this, and this has nothing to do with drinking, but um, when I was in high school, um, around 1984, great year, by the way, 1984, I was 14 years old, and we had moved from up north. Um, I was born and raised in Texas. My family and I moved up to Illinois for about five years, and then we moved back down the summer before my high school started and down, down to Houston. And it was in that season of my life that, that God brought me into a personal revival of, of following Jesus. I had a, had a great youth group, had an awesome uh, youth pastor, and God surrounded me with people who were ready to just, you know, challenge me and to grow me. And, and I was saved at the age of six, but from age six to 14, I was just, I was just a casual Christian, you know. There wasn't a whole lot of bad things that I did, you know, there. But age 14, I'm, I'm coming up on some area in my life where I could really, really be messing up my life. And I'm grateful for God, for the friends and the youth pastor and the church that surrounded me during that season of my life. And one of the things that discipled me, and I shared this in the past before, is, is Christian music. As I had my first opportunity to listen to Christian music, and I was convicted to stop listening to other music. So I had cassette tapes can't believe I'm saying this. I had cassette tapes of like Huey Lewis and the News. I had cassette tapes of Lionel Richie. I had the cassette tape to the soundtrack for Footloose. That is an amazing soundtrack, right? And so I had those cassettes and I felt convicted because of my walk right there and because of the personal revival in my life. I was so convicted that I took the, the cassette tape out and just pulled it out like this. And I chunked it in the trash and I felt good. You say, Frank, why in the world would you do that? I know right now I wouldn't have done that. But that was a season that God had me in. And so I didn't, I, I listened to only Christian music for a big season of my life. It's like I lost 
touch of kind of what else was out there from like 1984 to whatever. I had to kind of go back and listen to, what did I miss? You know, that sort of thing. But there was nothing wrong with that. There was nothing wrong with that because it was me and God. But there was something wrong with the way I handled a certain situation. So come 1985. 1985, I was Christian music only, right? Amy Grant put out an album. It was called Unguarded. And in this album, because you know, I've thrown away all my secular stuff. In this album, I I, I didn't even hear it. I didn't even listen to it. I would not listen to it. Only heathen Christians, if that, and that didn't even exist, but the only heathen Christians listened to Amy Grant's Unguarded because I have heard that she was sort of crossing over. Ooh. And some of her songs are getting played on secular stations. And I was like, why would I listen to such filth? So I did something that I'm actually ashamed of. I criticized people in my youth group who were listening to Amy Grant. And there were some people in my youth group that were on board, my little disciples. But I, I really, I almost ruined relationships in my life because I said, how, how could you listen to Amy Grant's Unguarded? It's secular music. How could you do that? You're not growing in Christ. That was not a good season. It was a good season for me, you know, kind of removing some other stuff, but it wasn't a good season for me and judgmental. And so I'm trying to use an example in my life and kind of putting myself out there in a vulnerable place to show an example, kind of what Paul's talking about. Because it's not just about eating meat and not eating meat. It's bigger than that. And so... About when I was in college, kind of later college, God brought me to another season of revival and say, you know, Frank, (laughs) the Holy Spirit began to talk to me and say, there's really nothing wrong with Amy Grant's unguarded album. You ought to listen to it. And so I put the headphones on, listened to it. Hopefully my ears would not start bleeding And I listened to it. I was like, you know what? This is an amazing album. And when it got to the second to last song called The Prodigal, I literally sat there with headphones on and just cried because I was that prodigal. I was that holier-than-thou person. And now... Immigrants Unguarded is like one of my favorite albums. <laughs> and in fact, the producer, Brown Bannister, is going to be the, the uh, dean. Well, he's the dean of music at Lipscomb University, where Logan, one of, my, one of our kids, are going to be going to, to college here in the next year and a half. He's already decided, okay? Brown's excited to have him come be a part of his program. The producer, here I am, Okay? What hypocrite am I? So I say this because I just use it as an example. Whatever season God has you in, okay, whatever convictions God has you in, don't talk negative about others 
who God may not be putting in the convictions. Now, if it's blatant sin, if it's obvious things, the big things God, the Bible makes clear about, but there's a lot of things. It's like, okay, what, how do we handle this? What do we do? And Paul is just saying, look, it's really different for, for every person. It's the, it's the move of the Holy Spirit in their life. And so just because you have certain convictions in this season of your life doesn't mean that you should go talk negatively and judge other people. Same goes if you have the freedom to sort of, hey, I, I feel like I can listen to secular music, you know? Or I, I feel like I can, you know, drink wine as long as I'm not getting drunk. But if that's you, then you should not talk negative about those who feel like, you know, I don't, I don't really feel the freedom to do that. That's basically what chapter 14 is all about, right there. Just trying to use examples in everyday life. So the basis of it is love your neighbor as yourself. Do you want to be able to connect and serve alongside of your brothers and sisters in complete freedom and love. So the bottom line is that you've, if you're convicted about something, then live confidently. Live confidently with that conviction without judging others. Now I'm going to tell you, there's people here right now, very well could be, are listening online. Maybe you're just kind of checking out this Christian thing. And, and, and maybe someone has condemned you for living a certain way. First of all, let me make it very clear. Jesus did not come to condemn you. He made that very clear in the second best scripture, passage in all of scripture, John 3, 17. He did not come to condemn the world, okay? Conviction, yes, okay? There's nothing wrong with conviction. In fact, we need a little bit more conviction in our church. Conviction happens to those who have accepted Christ, okay? And so condemnation is something that Jesus like, look, that's, a, that's of the devil. Some of you have been the subject or have been the end result of condemnation by someone who was living a life of a sort of a goody-two-shoe sort of Christian. Someone who's like, you know what? I... I, uh, I can't accept this, this Christianity because this person doesn't really show any kind of love. Can I tell you that? Let me tell you something. We're sorry for that. We're, we're sorry. That, that may have happened to you, but just know this. There is a God who loves you, and he wants to make things right in your life. The, the things that you're going to let go and stuff, that's going to happen it's gonna happen. You, when you accept the Christ, we're not gonna come to you and say, all right, you've accepted Christ, so here's a two-hour meeting on the things you're not supposed to do. Can I tell you that? That meeting doesn't happen. I don't have those kind of meetings. Here's what does happen. Just start reading the Bible. Start praying. Fall in love with Jesus, and he's going to guard your heart through the power of the Holy Spirit, and you're gonna want to be drawn to those things and those convictions, you're gonna move in and out of certain 
convictions in your life. But guess what? That's just like a, leaving, a living, breathing organism in your life. The Holy Spirit is that person. And it's okay. So if you want to accept Christ as Savior, it's not about all these rules and regulations. It's about a relationship. It's about a relationship. And he wants your heart. Doesn't need your money. Doesn't want your money. Okay? Right? He just, he, he just wants your heart. Just every head bowed, every eye closed. If, as we come to this most important time in our service, he's sitting there today and say, you know, Frank, I, I've been the brunt of that person who has been condemned by someone who is sort of a, a goody-two-shoes type of Christian. And I, I've allowed that to stop me from crossing the line of my decision to follow Jesus. I'm ready to put that aside. I now realize that Jesus came not to condemn me, but that I would be saved. Why? Because he loves me. If you're ready to cross that line of, of that decision of following him, you could do that right here. Whether you're right here or listening on live line right now, or maybe you're listening to the service at a later date and you're just tuning in, just know that you could do this right here. Just say these words, Heavenly Father, I believe you sent Jesus for me. I believe he died on the cross for my sin. I believe he rose again and defeated sin. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Be Lord of my life. Please forgive me my sin. I confess it to you. Thank you for saving me. Help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you've prayed that prayer, whether online or, or here in this service today, I would love to hear about it. You let me know in the, in the lobby or, or send me an email, uh, pastor at lakepointonline.com or frank at lakepointonline.com. And uh, just know this, that um, it, whether you have made that decision today or maybe you've made that decision early in your life, you just feel like, you know, Frank, I've, I've got some areas in my life I just really need to grow. Let us walk with you. We would love to help you with that. And, and uh, before we dismiss a, a sort of a housekeeping thing here, if you're here today, we do not have to uh, break down. So we have, which is awesome, praise the Lord, hallelujah. And so, but uh, we do uh, want you to have a chance to visit with one another. Go check out the Mission Christmas uh, di um, display to where you can volunteer, fill out a volunteer card, and you can also donate. Take some time, look at those names. Now is a great time to do that. We love you. We hope you have a great, happy Thanksgiving. Bye-bye.